Chapter Five, Part One of Garibaldi and the Making of Italy, by George Macaulay Trevelyan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Surrender of Malazzo Castle, the check at the Straits, diplomats and politicians. Garibaldi a una grande puissance morale. Il exerce un immense prestige non solamente in Italia ma surat in Europe. Si domaine in lutte avec Garibaldi. El est probable que chuses pour moi la majorité des vec de vec diplomat. Mi l'opinion publique européenne sera contre moi. Et l'opinion publique aurait rien car Garibaldi a rendu la Italia les plus grands services que un homme puis lui render il donna a italien confiance in umemu il approuva l'europa que les italiens savants se battre et mourir sur le champ de bataille pour reconquer une patrie cela ne pêche pas qu'elle ne soit enament desirable que la revolution de naples se accomplisse saint louis cabor to an intimate friend august ninth eighteen sixty the castle of Milazzo, which Garibaldi had yet to take, rose between the two seas on a granite precipice more than three hundred feet high. Founded by the Saracens, improved by the Normans and Angevin, it had been finely enlarged and beautified by the Emperor Charles V. A place of importance throughout the Middle Ages, it had in the War of the Vespers been occupied by the Sicilians and French in turn in sixteen seventy five it had successfully sustained a regular siege and in the wars of the early eighteenth century and again in the struggle with napoleon it had been occupied by the british and their allies the english cavalry barracks of fifty years back could be seen on the shore below when bosco held it against garibaldi it was as it still is today a spacious and pleasant place unlike some of the featureless castle prisons of the neapolitan mainland of which the very style of architecture seems to symbolize cruelty and crime below the fine medieval keep lay grass plateaus a quarter of a mile broad and long enclosed by the outer works of charles v hence the defenders could view the calabrian coast the lapari islands and the eternal smoke of stromboli the gulf of Milazzo where duilius with his grappling irons destroyed the fleets of carthage and made rome mistress even of the sea the plain where garibaldi had just triumphed in conflict man against man the bare mountain ridges stretching away towards the hidden messina and near at hand a profusion of cactus fig trees and shrubs clinging to the precipices of the castle rock in the silent midday heat the stronghold gives the impression not of decay but of long unbroken peace its defences if antiquated were in good repair and could only be breached by a siege cannon which garibaldi did not possess to defend such a place against irregular troops would have been an easy and even pleasant task if bosco had taken care to lay in provisions while his communications were still open but there was little food and that bad the water stank and the dirty habits of more than four thousand soldiers who would not even take the trouble to bury the corpses of man or beast soon rendered the whole of that large area unsanitary the royalists had fought well in battle but defeat had destroyed their discipline 
and when they were put on half rations they muttered threats about opening the gate at the first sound of mutiny the fighting colonel himself lost his nerve and began signalling to messina the tale of his distress in messages on the semaphore which garibaldi and his officers read with delight he enlarged on the state of the provisions and water he complained that the enemy had in the last twenty-four hours shot one man dead on the ramparts besides wounding eight men and three mules he declared that a breach for a storming party could be made in a few days the latter proposition was undeniable as a piece of abstract military theory for the windmill hill whence the garibaldini were sniping was only five hundred yards away and was on a level with the lower parts of the castle but the practical inference was nil because the assailants had no breaching cannon and the fortress was defended by forty pieces the morale of the troops so ended bosco's tale of woe is destroyed and so he might have added was that of their commander who could no longer distinguish between real danger of starvation and imaginary dangers of storm and battery on july twenty first marshal clay held a council of war at messina his subordinates hated him and one another and the prevailing sentiment at the council was each man's desire to throw upon his neighbor the responsibility for disasters present and to come the sense of the council of war appears to have been that they were bound in honor to march at once to relieve bosco but that there were not enough horses and carts for the transport service and that a column of garibaldini advancing northwards from catania would step into messina if any part of its garrison of fifteen thousand were rashly sent to milazzo this fear was somewhat out of place since eber's column at catania as yet barely numbered one thousand men and only two or three hundred had been sent as far north as taormina but this trivial reconnaissance as clary's own dispatches show seriously affected his decision not to move to the help of bosco once indeed on july twenty second clary ordered three regiments to embark and signalled to bosco that they had already sailed to his relief but in a few hours he countermanded the movement either from fear of the garibaldini at taormina or else in obedience to orders from the war minister Pinel. When the first news reached Naples that Bosco's force was shut up in Milazzo, Pianel, much as he wished to suspend all hostilities, felt that he must extricate the rash colonel before resuming the defensive. He therefore ordered a large expedition to be put on board the fleet in the Bay of Naples to sail to the relief of Milazzo. But the fleet, more liberal in political sentiment than the army, refused to take the troops on board and the mutiny was encouraged by the admiral count de aquila the king's uncle the case was brought up for discussion before the ministers into whose willing ears de aquila poured such effective arguments against the resumption of hostilities in sicily that they decided to send instead of a relieving fleet and army empty transports to fetch away bosco and his men following the transports they dispatched a large part of the fleet with a colonel anzani on board whose instructions from Pinel were to negotiate the capitulation both of Milazzo and of the garrison of Messina. But Clary, as soon as he was assured that the ministry did not require him to relieve Milazzo, again assumed the part of a grieved hero and refused to evacuate Messina on any account. On July 23rd, 
the approach of the neapolitan war vessels to the port of milazzo caused some anxiety among the volunteers if the town were bombarded from the sea it would be necessary for them to retire and to lose the fruits of the victory which they had so dearly bought garibaldi as usual showed a bold face and fitted up a battery on the mole with cannon landed off the tucuri the newcomers however proved to be intent on more charitable thoughts colonel lanzani and the dictator soon signed a treaty of capitulation by which the troops in the castle were to march out with their arms and half the battery mules the cannon and ammunition of the castle the rest of the mules and all the horses were to be left behind for the conquerors bosco had boasted that he would enter palermo on medici's horse so garibaldi had determined that medici should enter messina on bosco's horse as shortly afterwards took place on the morning of july twenty fifth when the bourbon troops were to march out of the castle the piedmontese fleet appeared in the offing admiral persano seeing neapolitan warships lying off milazzo ordered his decks to be cleared for action presumably intending to save garibaldi from bombardment even at the cost of a rupture with naples when he found how peacefully matters had been settled he contented himself with embracing the dictator and congratulating him in the name of victor emmanuel on his fresh victory for the common cause the bourbon troops filed down to the point of embarkation with the honors of war between two lines of ragged volunteers although they had full opportunity to desert they were loudly invited to fraternize and to join the army of true italians few except among the artillery answered the appeal at the tail of the column walked bosco guarded as a prisoner fuming and pulling at his moustache he was hissed by the townspeople who were beginning to return to their houses from their hiding-places in the peninsula it was an unpleasant scene and moved the garibaldini to sympathize for bosco in spite of his hectoring manner which did not desert him in this dramatic exit from before the footlights of history it soon became known why garibaldi had caused bosco to be placed under arrest during the embarkation when paired with a few of his fellow-countrymen and others went to take possession of the abandoned castle they found the mules which had been surrendered under the capitulation lying about dead on the turf and many of the guns spiked they luckily detected before they had trodden upon it a train of gunpowder hidden under straw thickly strewn with detonators and running under the door of a magazine which was intended to blow the citadel and its new occupants sky high when garibaldi accompanied by admiral persano and the marios came up to the castle they found bosco's horses abandoned and frightened running round and round the grass plateau of the outer enclosure the dictator took his lasso and amused himself and his companions by a display of the skill which he had acquired in south america more than twenty years before alberto mario and his english wife jessie had arrived from palermo in pursuit of the army they found a number of truants from their garibaldi foundling hospital enlisted in dunes ranks half a dozen of them badly wounded although they had run away from the institute they had not run away from the rifles of the cacciatori one little wounded sicilian apologized to mario stroking his hand as he said are you angry with us signor commandante so many of our brigade are wounded and killed milordo the colonel says that after the battle of milazzo 
No one can say again that the Sicilians never fight. Another boy of twelve suffered amputation sitting in the lap of Jesse Mario, who said that she cried more than he did. These young scamps off the streets of Palermo were not the only class who behaved admirably in the hospital. Throughout the campaign, in the ill-equipped ambulances, without chloroform or proper dressings, the silent endurance of pain by Italians of sensitive and cultivated natures aroused the admiration of British military men. The terrible and partly unnecessary sufferings to which the patriots were exposed by the absence of proper provision never moved them to indignation or even to complaint. They would bear anything for Italy and for the general. In Milazzo, where lay half the men wounded in the recent battle, there was no straw to fill the bed-ticks which the Marios had brought from Palermo. At Barcelona, which took in the remaining three hundred, the inhabitants were more active and things went better. Both here and later on at Naples and Caserta, that excellent creature of the Lord, Jessie White Mario, as one of her patients called her, did her best to be the Florence Nightingale of the campaign, though she had no staff of trained nurses fanatical in her republicanism lacking in toleration and in charm of manner she had the spartan virtues of her creed and a power of complete self-sacrifice which she had learnt perhaps from her friend and master mazzini she was equally the friend of garibaldi who knew well how much he owed to jesse and how many of his best followers were saved by her ceaseless exertions superficially at least there was little in common between this lady of fixed and fiery faith and the comfortable citizens of her native land but they were too ready to praise her when they heard how she had attended the wretched pallets of hundreds of wounded italians who blessed her in their pain and her country for her sake desiring to take advantage of the enthusiasm for his cause prevailing in england garibaldi while still quartered in the castle of milazzo consulted his british companions in arms who had borne themselves so well in the battle as to the possibility of raising more of their compatriots to come out and join him on the neapolitan mainland the idea was suggested to him by hugh forbes a gentleman who wearing a white top hat had shared the perils of his retreat from rome to the adriatic in eighteen forty nine in the interval between the two italian revolutions Forbes had been in the United States, where he had had some peculiar dealings with old John Brown previous to the Virginia raid. He now appeared at Milazzo. Garibaldi fell in love with Forbes' proposal that a British legion should be raised, but refused to give him the command, and left him behind as governor of Milazzo Castle. The scheme aroused little enthusiasm among those who would have been best qualified to carry it out. Mr. Dalmage, who was a British officer on leave from Malta, refused to touch it. Andun himself, who had quarrelled with his countrymen when he left the Queen's service, angrily declared that he did not want any more of them out there. He prophesied that a whole regiment raised at a few days' notice among a civilian population and shipped to a strange land would contain good elements, but that, for discipline reasons, it would be more trouble than it was worth during the short period that the war was likely to last. But Garibaldi, though he knew that the British Legion would not come in time to be of much assistance in the Neapolitan kingdom, looked forward to a campaign in the Papal States, and to the capture of rome 
he therefore sent to england as an agent for the raising of the legion a certain styles who had behaved well in the battle of Milazzo, but turned out no better than he should be and soon fell out with the disinterested committee who took up the project in london it was now evident that there would be no further fighting in sicily since marshal clay and his fifteen thousand at messina had not moved to the relief of Milazzo, they certainly would not take the field on their own account now that it had fallen garibaldi's way lay open down to the shore of the straits medici duly mounted on bosco's horse led the vanguard into the streets of messina and on july twenty eighth he signed a treaty with clary by which the citadel was to be held by the royalist garrison and the town by the garibaldini hostilities between them were to be suspended by sea as by land so that the citadel which completely dominated the entrance of the harbour might not fire a shot at the dictator's vessels even when they sailed out under the muzzles of the king's cannon to invade his calabrian provinces such a treaty exhorted without bloodshed from fifteen thousand men in an impregnable fortress was a great advantage for the inferior forces of the volunteers who would have had much difficulty in entering the streets of messina if clary had resisted their approach on the mountain ridges above the town and in the forts designed for its protection nor could they have remained in messina if the citadel had been free to open fire the terms of this treaty are a measure of the panic struck into the heart of the royalist troops by the defeat of bosco and a measure also of the ardor with which the neapolitan ministers desired to avoid further fighting in the island the greater part of the garrison were now withdrawn from the citadel of messina to the mainland during the anxious month that followed the battle of Milazzo, the politics of europe turned on the question whether garibaldi could succeed in crossing the straits would the naval powers interfere to prevent him and even if they did not could he cross in the face of the neapolitan army and fleet the diplomatic part of the question was destined to be settled in a few days by the secret activities of cavour he was now fully determined to acquire the neapolitan kingdom for victor emmanuel if possible without but if necessary with further aid from garibaldi on july fourteenth he had still believed that he would be able before garibaldi could leave sicily to engineer a revolution in naples by means of the agents whom he had sent there at the critical moment the piedmontese fleet was to appear in the bay sanguine of success he had written to admiral persano we must at all costs on the one hand prevent garibaldi from crossing the straits and on the other excite a revolution in naples if this were to succeed the government of victor emmanuel would at once be proclaimed there in that case you would immediately sail with your whole squadron for naples the plan presupposed some active disloyalty in the army and some power of initiative in the inhabitants of naples neither were forthcoming a week after he had written this letter to persano cavour had become so far doubtful of his ability to provoke an internal revolution that he decided to clear the way for garibaldi's passage of the straits his earnest wish to forestall the dictator at naples no longer blinded him to the fact that the advance of the red shirts might prove after all the only means of disposing of the house of bourbon he continued indeed until after the middle of august 
to work and hope for a wholesale desertion of the neapolitan army to the national cause which would remove the need for garibaldi to cross the straits and would place all authority at both ends of the peninsula in the hands of the ministry at turin but meanwhile not allowing himself to be duped by these golden hopes cavour entered into a conspiracy with victor emmanuel to open garibaldi's way before him in spite of the threats of european diplomacy to which it was necessary all the while to appear subservient the king and his minister while publicly requesting the dictator to halt secretly urged him to advance and while not daring to dispute through regular diplomatic channels the proposition that he ought to be stopped at the straits they dissolved by a hint to england the concert of naval powers that was being formed for that purpose these two pieces of secret service count lita's mission to garibaldi and sir james laquita's mission to lord john russell have only recently been established as certain historical facts their importance in the history of the crisis that made italy is very great at four o'clock on the evening of july twenty second count lita modigianani came by appointment to the palace at turin to receive from the king's hands a written message which he was to take to garibaldi victor manuel first gave him a letter requesting the dictator not to cross the straits the ostensible royal message published to the world to allay the threatenings of france but here said the king to count lita is a second note which you will at once administer to garibaldi to neutralize the effect of the first so saying victor emmanuel handed over a letter containing the following words in his own handwriting now having written as king victor emmanuel suggests to you to reply in this sense which i know is what you feel reply that you are full of devotion and reverence for your king that you would like to obey his counsels but that your duty to italy forbids you to promise not to help the neapolitans when they appeal to you to free them from a government which true men and good italians cannot trust that you cannot therefore obey the wishes of the king but must reserve full freedom of action with these two missives in his pocket count lita left the royal presence the same day he saw cavour and farini who chafed him on the garibaldian part he was about to play he sailed to palermo and thence to milazzo where he arrived on the morning of july twenty seventh just in time to catch garibaldi before he started to overtake medici and the vanguard at messina as soon as they were closeted together the king's messenger produced the two letters in their order at the second delivered by lita with sly excuses for the first garibaldi burst out laughing he rose at once and went into his bedroom where sertori and tricci and others were talking so loudly that he was forced to say gentlemen i have got to write a letter please don't make so much noise so saying he sat down and wrote his answer to the king which thrilled the heart of italy in the ensuing weeks sire he wrote your majesty knows the high esteem and love i bear you but the present state of things in italy does not allow me to obey you as i should have wished called by the peoples i refrained as long as i could but if now in spite of all the calls that reach me i were longer to delay i should fail my duty and imperil the sacred cause of italy allow me then sire this time to disobey you as soon as i shall have fulfilled what i have undertaken by freeing the peoples from a hated yoke 
i will lay down my sword at your feet and obey you for the rest of my life lita hastened back to turin the public bearer of his famous reply but the world knew nothing of the other document which he safely carried back the king's original draft of which the dictator's answer was but a paraphrase adorned with a few garbaldian touches that most compromising of documents has just come to light after a discreet interval of fifty years it was easy thus while saving appearances to make sure that garibaldi would obey the law of his being and go forward as fast and as far as he was able but to prevent the maritime powers from stopping him at the straits was a harder task for the moment little was to be feared from austria alienated as she was from the government of naples by the nature of its appeal to england france and piedmont the diplomatic representatives of naples did not hesitate to allege that if the western powers would force a six months truce upon garibaldi their country would be able to hold the elections to her new parliament and would lend her regular army as soon as it was required for the inevitable war against austria in venice though such promises were only the result of abject fear and were unlikely to be fulfilled they caused irritation if not alarm at vienna and postponed the season of austrian intervention napoleon on the other hand at that moment desired to preserve the bourbon dynasty on the mainland as a constitutional state under french direction far more ardently than he desired a month later to preserve the pope's adriatic dominions he was therefore most anxious to stop garibaldi at the straits but he was no less anxious to preserve good relations with england both these objects could be achieved by a naval combination of france and england to hold the straits of messina against the passage of garibaldini and this was proposed by the french ministers to palmerston and russell lord john in his english simplicity supposed that victor emmanuel and cavour meant what they said when they declared against garibaldi's invasion of calabria and no doubt felt that he could best serve italy by acting in accordance with the publicly expressed wishes of cavour the british ministers therefore were not indisposed to listen to the arguments of napoleon when he proposed that england and france should send the two greatest fleets in the world to protect the calabrian coast against the red shirts details as to the number of ships to be employed were actually arranged at naples between king francis ministers brenet and the french admiral the final consent of the british cabinet had yet to be received but if palmerston and russell fathered the scheme it would meet with no resistance from their colleagues who except gladstone were less enthusiastic than they in the italian cause it was a moment full of danger but cavour was warned just in time of the blow which the extreme subtleness of his policy was preparing for him in the house of his friends the warning came it is said through an indiscretion of one of his worst enemies the story goes that the french empress in conversation with nigra the piedmontese representative of paris let drop a hint of the negotiations with england that nigra extracted the whole truth from her by pretending to sympathize with the project and sent the news on to turin cavour greatly alarmed went straight to the british legation and asked hudson point-blank how to prevent russell from being made an unconscious agent in the ruin of italy's best hopes 
hudson happily inspired advised cavour to send sir james lakita the intimate friend of the russell family to explain the real situation to lord john giacomo lakita a gentleman of apulia and a lawyer of naples had in eighteen fifty been mr gladstone's political mentor during his famous visit driven into exile for this he became naturalized in england and was knighted as sir james lakita for public services rendered to his adopted country in july eighteen sixty he was engaged in examining the candidates for our indian civil service on the twenty-third the rain of an english summer's day gave him a severe cold and to further his distress as he noted in his diary he heard that a special neapolitan envoy la marquis de greccia had arrived in london and had been closeted with lord john on the next day tuesday july twenty fourth he spent another chilly morning examining the young men viva voce came home exceedingly ill and took to his bed he was called up by an unexpected visit from emmanuel d'azeglio the piedmontese minister in england who in obedience to cavour's message came to request lakita to go at once to lord john and put him on his guard against an application he would receive for intervention to force an armistice on sicily in spite of his illness lakita dressed again and disregarded the protests of his family dragged himself into the streets to obey the orders of cavour and as it chanced to bring about the making of italy arriving at the russell's town-house he rang the bell the servant who appeared knew him well as a friend of the family the conversation that followed was to this effect is lord john at home not at home sir james is he out or only busy he's engaged most particular sir james with the french ambassador i have turned away the turkish ambassador and i have strict orders to let in no one except the minister for naples there's no time to lose thought lakita and then inquired is lady john at home then she's in bed sir james ill then lakita took out a card and wrote upon it for the love you bear the memory of your father see me this instant and sent up this strange message to the lady of the house in a few minutes he was by her bedside he persuaded her to send down to her husband the simple message come up at once thinking to find his wife suddenly taken worse lord john left persini the french ambassador sitting there rushed upstairs opened the door of the bedroom and found himself face to face with lakita it was no time for apologies or explanations in a flood of impassioned words the apulian poured forth his soul to his english friend was eighteen forty eight to be repeated then sicily had revolted then england and france had helped to prevent the sicilians from invading naples and then sicily had been reconquered if garibaldi crossed now italy would be made if he was stopped division reaction and disaster would ensue as before did lord john wish to be for ever loved or for ever hated by liberal europe a violent paroxysm of coughing shortened his eloquence but he had said enough to show lord john what cavour wanted england to do go to bed he said to lakita and don't be so sure that i'm going to sign that treaty yet russell's mind was well prepared for these ideas 
for during the summer his wife had received letters from her neapolitan friend poerio urging that the bourbon must be dethroned and italy made now or never and for a fortnight past hudson and Elliot themselves new converts had been preaching the doctrine of complete italian unity in their private letters to the foreign minister going downstairs lord john presumably put off persini with what excuse he could for two hours later he sent round a messenger to laquita to tell him to be of good cheer and at the cabinet held on the afternoon of july twenty fifth it was decided to reject the french proposal with regard to coercing garibaldi persini was amazed at the volteface of the british ministers for as he himself tells us he had obtained lord palmerston's promise to join in stopping garibaldi on july twenty sixth lord john wrote to our ambassador of paris a dispatch suitable for publication no reader of which would ever guess that the majestic current of british foreign policy had just been deflected from its course by one of the civil service examiners i informed monsieur de persigny writes russell that her majesty's government were of the opinion that no case had been made out for the departure on their part from their general principle of non-intervention her majesty's government had only come to this conclusion within the last forty-eight hours that the force of garibaldi was not in itself sufficient to overthrow the neapolitan monarchy if the navy army and people of naples were attached to the king garibaldi would be defeated if on the contrary they were disposed to welcome garibaldi our interference would be an intervention in the internal affairs of the neapolitan kingdom this was sound doctrine to come to the point if france chose to interfere alone we should merely disapprove her course and protest against it in our opinion the neapolitans ought to be masters either to reject or to receive garibaldi napoleon was not prepared to take a course against which england would protest and the project of foreign intervention fell dead garibaldi had no longer anything to fear from the french and british fleets but he still had before him a military operation of immense difficulty to cross the straits of messina through the midst of the neapolitan fleet and to land on the calabrian coast in the face of the neapolitan army the modern odysseus stood on the sandy cape of charybdis and gazing across at sia's now castled rock bethought him of his many devices other heroes had striven in vain to become masters of this event half a century before the generals of the great napoleon including marat himself had been baffled by this same strip of sea two miles wide at the narrowest point which had guarded sicily from the french as safely as twenty-one miles of northern ocean had guarded from them a more favoured island End of chapter five part one